Our scripture reading today is Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and wondrous and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving maid. Show me a sign of your favor, so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Amen. These last two weeks, we've been looking at a couple of psalms, and uh, they are in the category of psalms of orientation, looking at Psalm 8 and also Psalm 62. And what that means is they're psalms that are, you know, are upbeat, are confident that things in the world make sense, that God is there for me and I'm in a relationship to him. Psalms of orientation, psalms of praise. So... We've considered that. Moving on, uh, we also have psalms of disorientation. They're also known as psalms of lament. And these are prayers, and they, they, they come out of challenges in our lives, uh, and, and, you know, and we sense a degree of dissonance. And it, it doesn't all make sense, and we have concerns that we're going to bring to God, and we do that in the form of prayer. So psalms of disorientation. So today we're going to look at one of these psalms uh, from Psalm 86, a psalm when there are challenges in life and how does the psalmist go forward in the midst of that. So perhaps the psalmist can be a, a model here for us. So it begins, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, 
I lift up my soul. So the, the psalm begins, uh, it doesn't jump right to the concern that he's got. There's no mention of that, really. It's, it's recognizing that he is in relationship with God, laying the foundation uh, for the psalm. But it begins with the statement that I am poor and needy. So I, I recognize my reality. There's a humility to this text, and humility is about being real. It's, it's about recognizing that I don't have it all together, that I, I, I'm fragile and I need help. So the psalmist is quite quick to recognize that. I need your help. Annie Lamont talks about you know, two types of prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you and also help me, help me, help me. So this is one of these prayers of help me, help me. Turn your ear towards me, for I am poor and needy. But at the same time, I have confidence. I have confidence in you because we are together. You are my God, verse two. Verse four, to you I lift up my soul. So yes, I have concerns, I'm gonna bring them before you, but I know that I am still in relationship with you. We are in covenant. God makes a covenant with Israel. God makes a covenant with us in Christ, the new covenant, so that he is there for us. We can depend on him. And because of this, the psalmist gives praise to God. And we see that in verses 5 and 6. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. So that statement in verse 5, you are good and you have steadfast love, you are forgiving, that's taken from the song of Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6. So the psalmist is leaning on other liturgical texts to bring in in his conversation with the Lord. 34, 6, Exodus reads, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You can see how those words are similar to what we have in Psalm 86 and verse 5. So it's all, it's all beginning with the psalmist recognizing that, hey, I have challenges, but I know that you are there for me and I have confidence in you used to sing the song, I Can See Clearly Now the Rain Is Gone, sung by Jimmy Cliff. And, you know, it's, it's dark skies now, but I, but I know that they're going to go and the sun will return, and you are there for me. So it's interesting that in these psalms of disorientation, there, are, there is always still a sense of trust and dependence and leaning on God, that God is there, we are in covenant, we can depend on him. So there's still an upward look to God who is there. So that's how the psalmist begins this statement, going to his concern, which we see towards the end of the psalm. So he lays the foundation, talking about his sense of relationship and covenant with God. And then he spells that out as we get into the middle of the psalm. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor there are any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So God is praised for his uniqueness. He is sovereign. He's above all the powers that exist in terms of the universe, in terms of the heavens, whatever they are. God is greater than them all. 
but he's also greater than the nations. You see that in verse 9. So I'm thinking, you know, right now we have this challenge in, in the East uh, with Russia and Ukraine and the NATO countries. And, you know, there's a possibility for conflict that's on the horizon. But the psalmist is saying, well, God is greater than the nations. God is greater than Russia. God is greater than the United States. God is greater than the countries in the European common market. God, God is there and we can trust and depend on him. He is our sovereign God. Psalmist has a deep sense of that. And then he carries on, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. And I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Teach me your way. Give me an undivided heart. And so the psalmist recognizes his own condition. I am poor and I am needy. And he also recognizes that he, he has a tendency to have not an undivided heart, but to have a divided heart. And you know what? I think that's, that's very much the way we are. That we, we, more often than not, have a divided heart. We we break our world into bits and we, we move into these various quadrants of our life and we're not really integrated. We are often more disintegrated. And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, give me an undivided heart. So, that, you know, I think that's a, a good hint for us that, that we can't do it on our own. We can't have an undivided heart just in our own strength. So we need to go to God and ask him, Lord, in your work of mercy and grace, work in me that I will have an undivided heart, that I will not be broken up into little pieces, but that I can offer you my whole self and live in this integrated way rather than a disintegrated way. So I think it's interesting that the psalmist brings that right into the middle here before he moves on to his concern. Help me, Lord. Give me an undivided heart. Show me your ways. Lead me your paths. And what helps us here is the practice of gratitude. We've mentioned it. Note, verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love towards me. So what helps us in this practice of integration is the sense of gratitude, is the sense of thanks, to be mindful for God's goodness in our lives. How is God good in your life, in my life? How are we conscious of that so that we live more holistically and we live more with an undivided heart rather than divided? That's where the psalmist is going, to be mindful of his goodness. And again, for, to help us here, we, we need to develop this practice of gratitude. We need to stay more often in the day and not be rolling around in the past or in the future, but be in relationship to God, whatever that might be. Recently, I was down, Beth and I were down in the Prince Edward County area and we were walking along the beach and it was interesting, as we were walking uh, on the Sandbanks Beach, I heard this really kind of weird bird sound and I look up and there is this 
group of seven swans, beautiful swans, flying right over our heads in V formation, just like, I don't know, 75 feet above us. And they're making this big sound. That's what caught my attention. And then looking up and seeing them fly out over the lake, I'm thinking, you know, in my whole life, I have never seen that before. That was a new experience. Seven swans <laughs> flying over your head, gaggling away. They flew out over the lake, maybe 500 yards out, and they were circling, and finally they landed out in the lake. But every day, God is doing things in our lives. Can we be mindful and appreciative for his goodness, even while there are things that are out of place? Because the psalmist is yet to actually speak of what's the concern that he has in this lament. So the enemy wants to keep us distracted. The enemy wants to keep us in anxiety and worry. That, that he likes it when that's the case. He likes it when we feel all churned up inside because then we're, not, we're going to be less effective in terms of our witness, in terms of our walk for God's kingdom. And so the, the enemy is there, the enemy is real, and he resists this movement towards an undivided heart. We need to be conscious of that. So having said all of that, lays the foundation praises God for his uniqueness. Whatever other powers are out there, you are above them all. You are sovereign, and I can trust and depend on you. I can lean on you. And then finally, in this final section, we hear the lament. And so the psalmist says, O God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving maid, meaning save me. Save me in a family that have, have looked to you. I look to you. I trust in you. I depend on you because these people are actually rising up against me and threatening my life. So finally, we have this statement of concern. And what's interesting here is, for one, he doesn't begin his prayer this way. He begins with praise to God, and at the end, he finally brings in his sense of disorientation. But we'll note, even by the end of the psalm, it turns around to one of trust and leaning on God, even in the midst of this concern. Notice at the end of verse 17, it says, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So all of these psalms of lament end up with a still a trust in God, dependence on him. The arrogant and violent people have risen up against me. So in this whole psalm, in this piece of lament, we still don't know how it ends. We don't know because there is no final sense of resolution. We don't know if these folks who are risen up against the psalmist have decided to leave him alone? Or is the challenge ongoing? Is he still facing these hurdles even now as he writes it? Or did he write this psalm later and he looks back on the experience and he speaks about it? See, we don't know. All we know is that there is this sense of concern 
and he cries out to God, and then he ends with this sense of trust and dependence on him. That's where the lament is. Yet the psalmist has this sense of trust, right? You are there for me, as I've just said. We are in turbulent seas, but you are there with me. I look to you. And particularly what he wants is guidance. What he wants is discernment. Verses 16 and 17, note, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Lead me. Verse 17, show me a sign of your favor. I want to know your guidance, your direction. Earlier it was, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. So part of the lament is the psalmist's prayer and concern that, Lord, I want your discernment. I want you to lead. I want you to trust. So here we are as a collective body, you know, in a relationship with a developer. And we, you know, we, we want to see all this come to fruition. Well, you know, we, we need discernment in all of this. We need to keep trusting and looking to God because we're not sure how it all finally really turns. Things can happen over a long process. But we're invited to keep looking to him, keep discerning, keep trusting. And in our individual lives, how and what is God's way for us? To keep looking to him, keep trusting in him. We have concerns, but we can look to him and know that he is there for us. We can have confidence in him. So how do we handle those concerns? So having said all that, like, you know, where, where do we go? Well, I think one is the psalmist is saying, and a third of the psalms are these psalms of disorientation or laments, that suffering is real and suffering is part of our life journey. So when we have an issue and when we suffer, it is, not that, it is not like God is not there with us in that situation. The suffering is not a surprise to God. Our life journey will have these times of pain and disorientation and suffering, but that does not mean God is not there with us in those times. So yes, right now, I don't know your life, what, maybe there's some suffering going on. And we cry out, God, where are you? Jesus cried out from the, the cross, where, where are you, Lord? But he continues to trust, to lean on him. So within our context, whatever that is right now, there may well be some suffering, but that doesn't mean God isn't there. He is there. So secondly, we can have confidence in God. We can lean on him even in the midst of that pain. And a model for here is, this, is the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. Jesus tells his disciples and us, pray in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I have you as my Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We have needs. We cry out to you. Forgive us our debts. We've messed up. Lord, we need your forgiveness. As we also have forgiven our debtors, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Rescue us from the evil one. Evil is real in our world and plays a part in terms of working against us. So the Lord's Prayer is a, is a prayer of 
bringing our concerns to God, having confidence in God even amidst the challenges, big or small. And then thirdly, to live with commitment and submission to God as our creator and redeemer. You know, one of the, one of, Richard Foster has a book called The Celebration of Discipline, and it's interesting in those disciplines, one of the disciplines he calls us to develop is that of submission. That that is a discipline, that we are called to learn how to submit. Jesus submitted to the Father. He invites us to submit, Philippians chapter 2. So it, it, what it means is, even in those challenging times, we offer up our lives to God in commitment and say, Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. So that we live with this undivided heart. To not get lost in our feelings and our pain that, that seems and is real in the moment, but not to get lost there. To depend on God to keep a sense of assurance in him. And then finally, to live in the here and now, to be mindful of God, meaning that we stay in that sense of covenant, that we are in covenant with God through all the stages of life, through all the seasons of life. All of it. Richard Rohr says, you know, we are a first half of life culture, which I think is true. What he means by that is we, are, we always want to be building and have success and all the stuff that we want in the first half of our lives, you know, our culture does pretty good on that side and we don't do very good on the second half of life. The sense of trust and bringing things together in a sense of integration and leaning in community on one another. So can we live in the here and now, no matter where we are in these seasons of life, first half, second half, we trust, we lean, we depend on him, we cry out to him in our pain, in our hurt, but still rely on God, who's there for us. So I end with Cardinal Newman's well-known statement, lead kindly light, keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene one step enough for me. One step, lead kindly light. May the psalmist lead you through this word. May God continue to speak in our lives today. May we look to God, his light, one step enough, trusting in him. In Jesus' name, amen.